0: Hey everybody, it's Matthew back again with another really, really incredible Sense Spotlight to share with all you guys. I was so stoked last week to get the opportunity to speak with the digital artist, Matt Kane, and our conversation did not disappoint. We talked a lot about Matt's backgrounds coming from the traditional art world into the crypto art world, his motivators for creating, his actual creative process using these bespoke homemade computer programs that he's he's put together, Uh, his relationship with collectors uh, and his philosophy, not just on crypto art, but on his own work. Uh, which is, it's, it kind of blew my mind. Actually, my mind was blown multiple times during the course of our conversation. And with that, I really hope that you enjoy my conversation with Matt Kane. Okay, we're live. This is Matthew coming back with another Scent Spotlight on the Scent Podcasts. Where I get to speak with some of the amazing creators who are doing fantastic things on and around the scent platform, I'm really stoked to be speaking with the digital artist Matt Kane on this week's episode. So, welcome to the show, Matt.
1: Oh, thank you, Matthew. It's uh, my pleasure to be here.
0: So, to get things started, I'll ask you the question that I ask everyone: Could you introduce yourself to the scent audience and tell us a little bit about your background?
1: Sure. Um, well, my name is Matt Kane. And I'm an artist, a full-time artist right now. Um, I've been active in the crypto art space for roughly a year. I was a big-time lurker before that. I think I've been kind of watching the space evolve since 2017. Um, I got introduced to uh, the crypto art space um, because i was i I've been developing a generative art uh, program. And so... I'd been loosely following that community on Twitter. And so um, it was an article by Art Gnome, uh that I saw that kind of drew me into um, crypto art, I believe. I, although I, I kind of think I'd already found some, some posts that kind of crossed my path. But um, that's sort of what brought me in. Um, my larger story is... Uh, I start out as an oil painter uh, represented by a gallery in Chicago around uh, 2003. Um, I'm extremely young then, so I'm in, like, my early 20s, and kind of my boyhood dream is to show in, like, a top Chicago gallery, and it happens, and it, it's um, it's one of those, you know, great experiences for me, but it was also, like, too much too soon um my interest was in sort of uh developing as an artist still and what so when my oil paintings begin selling for thousands of dollars and they say oh hey we we really like these these are really selling make more of those it's it's sort of like oh because creatively i was wanting to spin down a new road um and and so so in 2006, uh, after my first solo show, I leave Chicago. <laughs> like any self-sabotaging artist, um, I end up in Seattle. Um, I should I should back up and and say uh, while I'm still in Chicago creating work for my solo show, um, I'm doing these little dots around this you know, painting little dots around a figure. And I suddenly, in my mind's eye, I see this rapidly happening in front of me uh, where, where all of these colors just start, you know, shooting out. And, and, and it's like in, in, a, in a pattern, like, like red, red, green, red, red, green, you know, big, small, big, big, small, big. And uh, I know nothing about coding at the time. I'm I'm probably 25 or 26 years old. I don't even know how to um, make, you know, do HTML, make a, a text uh, red or bold or anything like that. But in that moment, I kind of understood. I saw this computer program, right, in front of me uh, on my canvas. I wasn't, you know, microdosing or anything. But... <laughs> <laughs> That, that's sort of the experience that I was having. Um, and, and so I realized I need to, you know, my larger vision is I need to learn how to program so that I can build this software one day. Um, I end up moving to Seattle. Um, I end up getting a job as like, uh, basically I'd be cutting out graphics, you know, for the real web programmers. But I worked my way up in this design agency, um, taught myself how to program, um, spent seven years in the web development industry in Seattle, uh, making decisions about what jobs to take based on: am I going? You know, is this? How is this going to help me learn what I need in order to make this program one day? Um, and so you know fast forward let's see twenty thirteen I end up leaving Seattle um, I have some you know some tragic events enter my life, and basically, I end up realizing i I know everything that I need to actually begin work on the software, and so I do in twenty thirteen that's so that's six years ago and basically been my full-time job for six years is building this software. Um, the first four years, I don't even use it to express myself. Um, I'd lost a friend to suicide. That was the, the sort of tragic event. Um, and it kind of shut me down. I wasn't able to paint for a while. Um, I say a while, it was actually like several years um, when I would go to paint and um, it like hurt in my heart too much to express myself like with paint. And that was a bummer because painting is, you know, that was always my go-to uh, for, for like feeling better in, in those like dark moments. And so it was like mathematics and code were like this sanctuary that I was able to go into um, during this time of grief. And so it was like I end up building this um, tool of expression for a future time when I could express myself again. And so 2017, I'm able to express myself. I start using the software I'd been spending years making. And um, gosh, I got into crypto art then, and it's just been um, gangbusters ever since.
0: That's a fascinating story. So let me just make sure that we wind up at the same place together. So the program that you'd begun development on, that that tool for creatively expressing yourself, that program that you began in 2013, the first work that you started to create for it or with it was around like the 2017, 2018 mark. Is the work that you shared on SuperRare the first work that you created with that program? No. Okay. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So where... Did you actually share some of the first works that you created with your, your program?
1: Great question. I didn't. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of one of these really strange... I, I suppose what I learned in my early 20s showing in the gallery in Chicago was that that success did not make me happy. It was building something and um, pursuing my creativity, my creative vision. That's what made me happy. So kind of as I've matured as an adult, I got away from I you know I think artists have this have this uh, tendency you know they make a they make a drawing and they they take it and they run to their mother and they say, look what I made and mom you know h- hangs it up on the refrigerator And I've just I've just sort of become this person who um, is very thoughtful about, what I want to release, what I don't want to release, and and kind of setting standards for myself that way, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: So I, I want to kind of dive into that a little bit more then. So success is not something that is a motivating factor for you at all. It sounds like at this point, especially. So what drives you? What turns you on about the creative process to to keep you going with this? What is your ultimate creative driver?
1: That's a great question. I've never really considered. I think I like to get into sort of patterns in my day where, you know, I'll spend the full day like uh, coding, making an improvement on my software. I'll take a walk in the afternoon uh, in the woods. Um, I'll come back, I'll code some more maybe, you know, and maybe the next day I wake up and I make a painting and as I'm making the painting with my software, I'm making notes about improvements on on my uh, my software. I suppose, you know, what drives me is is just continuing to build on this. Um, even after you know six years of building this, it's it's a work in progress. And as I get you know creative visions, it's it's um that's what drives me. Is how can I um have a whole list of, you know, features I want to build out that I haven't gotten around to yet and paintings I want to make. And so, yeah, that's, that's kind of what drives me is just um, creating.
0: Hmm. And then, well, to get a little bit more specific like, how does a piece come about for you? Do you sit down and, and do you have like a fully formed image or sequence of layers in your mind before you start using your program to, to make that a reality? Or is it something where you're, you're tweaking, like you sort of described, it's a process of tweaking your program to do something, going for walks, coming back. Maybe engaging in a different form of creative expression, uh, coming back to the computer. Could you walk us through the process that you take, like for a particular piece?
1: Sure. You know, before I forget, I'm, I should mention that I practice um, meditation daily. Uh, usually, usually after I come back from my walk, and it's it's generally during meditations that I'll. Ideas will come together. Sometimes they'll be related to what I'm building with the software. Sometimes they're, they're, they're image-based. You know, Like this last uh, collaboration for Async, I had the visionary uh, spirit of creation that I made. That was something that fully came to me in meditation. Um, I had no idea what I was going to do for that work. Um, I, I thought I was just going to make the table. And and then I um I come back from a really successful walk where just you know I'm in the flow state and um you know I lay down and, and do my meditation and you know I see I see her and I know you know it's like I know what to do now. And and so in that way that's that's that side of my creative process. In terms of um when I actually go to make work, um This is kind of a bizarre story, but, um, and I don't know precisely what it is, but I can tune into colors. Um, It started out uh, with my art when I'm around 19, um, using black and white photographs. I would look Mm -hmm. at the black and white photographs and I would kind of tune in my mind. And I would, I would, I see the colors over top in places, and so I would start to um, paint over top these black and white photos. And so, if I'm seeing green, I would put down green, um, and then, and then putting down that green then informs what I'm seeing around it. And so, it's kind of like um, jazz music, you know. Where, where you got a, yeah, a trumpet doing something, then you got the snare drum responding. So I put down the green and then there's purple and then maybe there's this sparkly golden line around that. And um, I'm just kind of like in a process of getting down all you know everything that I'm seeing in my mind's eye.
0: I mean, as you're describing that, I, I can't help but think of your one of us variation um, that ended up ended up scooping. I mean, I mean the image of Frankenstein, which I, I mean, in my memory, I remember that as being black and white. But it, I, from your description, I can see you looking at a black and white image like that and overlaying all the colors that you described, which came together so perfectly for that piece. And I remember when I saw that and it was just, what is that? I've never seen anything quite like that and the the resulting bidding war that erupted around that just confirmed okay this is as special as i thought it was when i saw it <laughs> that that was yeah that's that's so fascinating to hear and well going back to to how you i guess originally thought to seek out the education for programming that when you when you were engaging in that oil painting and you saw these like Red and green dots, kind of in front of you, w- without having to microdose. Uh, I think that's a really important part. But I'm curious. Like a lot of your experiences, they sound borderline psychedelic, but obviously they're they're completely sober moments, either in, in a meditative state or when you're engaging in a creative activity. Since you've had those sorts of experiences sober. I'm, I'm curious. I mean, you don't have to answer this or not. We, we can edit this out if this is uncomfortable, but have you actually engaged in, in psychedelic experiences?
1: You know, I never, I never have. And the reason I never have is, isn't because I'm a prude or anything. It's because I recognize that my brain chemistry is such that, that I do have these sort of extraordinary experiences and I would not want to risk you know screwing up the works so to speak if I could back up I don't know what it is that I see colors you know especially when I I can tune in now to you know just around me all I have you know it's 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 strange it's like the I refer to it as kind of the the right side of my brain it seems to be through my right eye as a matter of fact. I was thinking, how can I, how can I explain this? And it's sort of like, if you look through an old stereoscope viewer, if the right hand side has just color, but the left hand side is like the black and white photo, that's kind of what the experience is for me, if, if I were to put it in terms for you to imagine. I kind of trace it back to when I'm a child now we're going way back. <laughs> um, we had black and white television. And I sort of ex- did a lot of mind experiments when I was a kid. I, I, for instance, I, I once laid in bed and uh, shut my eyes and imagined myself walking through the house, uh, going into the toy chest, taking out Darth Vader and Chewbacca, setting them up by the chimney, um, and then walking back, you know, and getting back into my own body. And and then, like, I ran out, you know, through the kitchen all excited. Like, I'm going to prove that I have ESP and I can control objects and stuff. And it was, like, the greatest disappointment of my life. And I was probably, like, two or three years old doing this. But that was the kind of child I was. Of course, you know, Chewbacca and Darth Vader were in the toy chest. They weren't on the chimney. Um, but, um Anyway, another mind experiment I did um, came after seeing The Wizard of Oz. I saw, for some reason, the Sunday school, the church we went to, showed us The Wizard of Oz. And there is that moment where Dorothy goes from the black and white world into the color world. That has always stuck with me. and And it just, it stirred, it stirred something so deep inside me watching that. And it made me think about, you know, was the world once all black and white? And at the time, my family only had a black and white television. And so my idea was, well, I'm going to try to watch the black and white television in color. You know, my parents always told me, you can do anything you set your mind to. And so anyway, I got to the point where I was watching the black and white television in color. I didn't think anything of it at the time. And it was something that, you know, eventually we get a color TV and, you know, <laughs> I'm not doing that anymore. But around the time I'm 19, 20, I, I, I'm, you know, interested in art more. And so I'm, I'm thinking about like my childhood and what can I do that's really authentic to myself and what are, what are you know, unique experiences to, to myself that I can, you know, bring into, like, becoming, developing as an artist. And I remembered that thing about, you know, seeing, see, watching television in color. So, I, you know, I tried that, like I mentioned, and it was like, it was just, it it, it just was like, it worked. And it, as I mentioned, I, I, so I make these color sketches back then, and just to get all the colors down, And then I found myself playing with it, kind of playing with the phenomenon. So if I saw green, what would happen if I put down purple? You know, what would happen if I went along with some of it? But then, you know, of course, I have, you know, cognitively, I have, you know, my own ideas about color and stuff. And so what would happen if I if I don't go along with, you know, my mind's plan all the time. And I found I found, you know, it works either way. It's like, the response is kind of ends up being perfect either way.
0: There's a lot of questions I really want to ask, but before we move on, I want to make sure that I honor the promise I made to the lens-based artist Urban U R B E N. But he had asked, when you sit down to to make one of your your works these days, he's just curious, how long does each piece take? Does each piece roughly take the same time, or does it vary piece to piece?
1: I'm finding that it varies piece to piece. Generally, it's a couple hours. So so we're talking probably a minimum of 3 to 4 hours. However, so the, the like the little the dollar symbols that I've been doing. I've been doing those really late at night. And one of my one of my goals with those was not to second guess myself. Like I like I mentioned where I would sometimes, you know, go off of what the plan is i wasn't doing that with those i was just i was just going with with every single decision i was making i should mention so so as i built that software and i started using it sort of the same way that i play with colors the same kind of thing i kind of became intimately attached to my own software where where now I'm not just seeing color, I'm seeing like the patterns or whatever the result of the algorithm, you know, would be, I start to see those things. So, so it's kind of like I just, I, I let everything fire off in my brain as I'm I'm looking at, you know, the work in progress, and I'm just going with it. Um, the Monet's were taking about 12 to 18 hours. So... So it's kind of like you have some pieces that do really well uh, with, with the bidders, but then but then you have pieces that are really laborious, you know, that that were that I was finding, you know, harder harder to uh, to sell at the time. It's fun, you know. It's it's interesting. I, I don't really pay attention to the time though because it's all about like getting to the best result, you know. I think. You know, I, I've spent um, six years of my life running through my savings, you know, just in order to, you know, get to the point where I can create, you know, and shoot from the hip with color and with pattern. So it's like, I, I don't really pay attention to my hours. It, it, that, it, it takes as much time as it takes, whether it's a little bit or a lot.
0: And touching on the program that you do use, uh, when I first became aware that you use a self-developed, a self-programmed piece of technology to create your work, uh, I think I came across a tweet of yours. Uh, first of all, that in and of itself is mind-blowing, but then just thinking, okay, well, what is, what is the, the parallel? What is the how can I explain this through metaphor or analogy? And it's, I guess, roughly similar to artists who would make their own paintbrushes by pulling hair from like, the, the tail of a horse or something, mixing their own paint, um, putting together their own canvas, and just like doing everything by hand bespoke. It, it's, it's insane. And it's something that I had not thought or never even considered as being a possible possibility in the digital realm just because of all the, the various pieces of tools and kit that artists typically avail of themselves to so with the program that you have developed they, are you using a single self-developed program for everything are you using that in addition to other tools that's something I, i've been super curious about
1: sure so it's all one code base um it it had been like maybe three or four a couple of years ago, but I've consolidated all into one so that that's, that's just better coding practices so that I can extend everything. Yeah, and, and if I could just add about the, uh, the crafts people, I got exposed to those concepts as a young man. These artists who, who make their own brushes and chop down their own tree or quarry their own minerals to grind the pigment, I got introduced to those concepts and I just... They were kind of my heroes. I remember making the, I was, I was in this really um, danky, stinky apartment when I made this promise to myself. It's like I can see it. <laughs> and I said, if I ever become a digital artist, I'm going to make my own software. I'm not going to use Photoshop. I'm going to have to learn to code. So it was like the seed was planted for me very young when I'm like 18 or 19 you know when i set my mind to something it's 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 hard to change <laughs> i get fixed on it
0: that's again another fascinating nugget of of insight into your process and zooming out a little bit i guess looking at the rare digital art market or crypto art market, whatever your preferred vocabulary is. I know you had mentioned that you had been into generative art and you came across an article by Art aka Jason Bailey, um, that may have been one of your inroads into the rare digital art scene, although you probably were already in it at the time. But I'm just curious, your experience since entering roughly a year ago, hosting, I guess, your first work on Super Rare uh, till today. Like, how do you see the progress of the rare digital art market? Do you have any feelings, opinions on it one way or the other? And then, like, where do you see it heading in the future?
1: Sure. So, when I started out, I put up maybe four pieces spaced out, and the first one sold for half an ETH, and I was like, that's awesome this is amazing <laughs> and then like nothing sold and nothing sold and i was like oh that's cool like there's re- there's really no reason for me to treat super rare as a portfolio like i know that these works are really great i'm gonna wait for somebody to come along and you know know that much and so i just resumed work with with my software and then it was around, oh, I think September, Sparrow, um, she placed a bid on um, one of those pieces. And it was like, I got an email and it was like, you have a bid waiting for you. And I'm like, hell yeah, I have a bid waiting for me. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I, I went and looked at um, who she was and I saw she was an artist I was like, well, that's cool. She's an artist, so I'm going to accept this. This is cool. And so that kind of, like, she, like, made me look at Super Rare again. I was still watching it, you know, but I wasn't, I wasn't cognitively thinking, like, oh, I'm going to put this out or that out. I was building, I was building my, my 3D animation studio that I'd later use on, like, uh, One of Us. Yeah, so to answer your other question... Like I do have like animation studios that are outside of my normal software. So I guess there's a couple pieces of software that I use, but um, yeah, I'm kind of into making it all myself. Okay. Back to the market. Yeah. And then, and then I, I, around November, I saw that Andy Kaufman documentary for man on the moon and in it, he said something about, and I was like approaching my birthday turning 39 and I'm an old man. Um, He said something about uh, you have to take a chance on being loved or hated for who you really are. And when I heard that, everything made sense to me. I was like, I'm expecting to be successful. And I haven't even shown anybody what I'm capable of. I haven't, you know, I'm keeping all of this in my back pocket. You know that goes back to you know not running to my mom with drawings to hang on the refrigerator you know that's a great strength but that's also a problem you know because you can live underground your whole life doing that when you're you're only motivated by creating and so i was like okay all right i have to actually like take you know i have to do something with my dimensional painting stuff and so yeah that went really good i was i was shocked that that bidding war happened that was amazing
0: how was that bidding war to experience that
1: oh i think i was at the gym and um <laughs> <laughs> i can't I got tagged in something on Twitter and I'm, and they're like, there's a bidding war with Matt Cain. And I go and I, and I, I, I thought like the night before, like there had been two bids, you know, and I'm like, yeah, there's been two bids. That's a bidding war, I guess. <laughs> you know? And then I check and there was like 15 at that point And I'm like, Whoa, this is cool. So I, so I suppose things have been going, going well since then. You're asking what I think about the space or the future of the space. I mean, I'm all in on this, NFTs. I'm all in. I think right now it's very important that artists stand up for themselves. And if they, they expect royalties in the future, they need to actually express that right now. Because that's one of these things where it's like we are trying to overturn an old model that did not work in you know the traditional brick and mortar marketplace mm-hmm. where you've got artists in their 70s still painting um, like Lawrence Lee can't retire and, and it's like he tweeted uh, that Yesterday. last night. yeah yeah and it was like that's what we that's who we need to hear from like we can't listen to me you know, moaning about royalties are important. We need someone to actually tell us, you know, and show us why they're important. And we're shaping the future right now. I believe the future um, for, for proven provenance is NFT or an invention that's going to come from NFT. And so um, it's very early and we get to set all of the standards right now. We get to create a more ethical future um, and, and if we don't stand together and create an ethical future, it's like the old model is going to just win over because that's, that's easy. We don't have to convince customers or collectors uh, of why royalties are important. We can just do the old, old model on the blockchain.
0: Right. I, I think that that royalty model is so important right now we have a, a fragmented attempt at writing that future. We have places like platforms like super rare who are obviously um, trying to usher that in as an accepted practice. We have OpenSea that gives creators the tools to set their, the resale for within their own marketplace for the secondary sales and percentage of the sales that go to them. But Because of the fragmented nature in the multiple platforms, there definitely needs to be a a group consensus and a concerted effort on the part of all the players to make sure that regardless of where the piece ends up getting resold at, that there's some sort of royalty model baked in Mm -hmm. to the sales structure. And I spoke with the folks at known origin, and that's a project that they're they're trying to spearhead. Interestingly enough, mm-hmm. so I feel like the effort is definitely there. The awareness of that and how important that really is is, is there. Uh, it'll just take a little bit more time to to make sure that it, it really becomes a a full fledged reality, not just something that's platform or marketplace specific. Which is it's definitely a, a great step forward, but it's it's a half step, right? Uh, it, it's not. Mm-hmm where we need to fully go. I think on that point, and like the new kind of creative white space that the technology is kind of provisioning, another interesting area is something that we had talked about before the show and you had introduced to me and how you're treating your collector base in, in being able to provide exclusive experiences for mm-hmm. folks who, who have owned or purchased your work. So I'm pretty interested to hear your philosophy on that, and and sort of your planning or your your take on how to interact with one's collector base now that it's so trivially easy to track and, and follow the folks who who purchase your tokenized work.
1: Yeah, that was an idea I had before I think I even minted anything, and I was just learning about NFTs and um, what they were because I'm 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 looking at the market. Um, before i entered it very skeptically you know what you know why are these tokens worth anything of course that's what that's what the skeptic asks and it's like how do we convince the skeptics that these tokens carry value you know and i think a lot of smarter people than me have expressed why they have value and of course to me proven provenance is huge but then i kind of return to just you know, my origins as an artist. And I think about how important the experience is when I make a work, work of art or I'm conceptualizing a work of art. I'm thinking about how I want a viewer to experience it, you know. And so by creating this website where I can, you know, have my collectors, they sign in with MetaMask with their wallet, then, you know, the website, you know, scans their wallet to authenticate, them as the token owner and then i can present them exclusive experiences and that might be another interpretation of the artwork that they own Um, that might be me talking a video of me talking about the artwork that might be sketches i made in preparation for the artwork the amount of you know exclusive content that an artist can give to a collector it's it's really limitless, and I think I think it provides an experiential value to you know to the collector. I built my website out so that um, the collector can decide if they want to share those experiences, and they can share them with the public. They can share them with other digital wallet owners, you know, if they think that you know they want to boost digital wallet, you know uh, the browser plugin installation. That's a way of doing that. They can also just just share it with Matt Cain collectors. And then they can share it with um, particular wallets. And I sort of think about it in terms of a curator's going to reach out to someone one day, right? And say, we want a Matt Cain in this show that I'm curating. So they reach out to the token owner. They work out a deal, right? Whatever deal that is. And you know maybe maybe the to- token owner doesn't want to give away all those exclusive experiences to the public, and they just so so what happens is the the um, the museum or the gallery where this show is taking place they create a uh, digital wallet on the device they're going to show the artwork on. The collector logs into my website, they put in that wallet address, you know, and Bing Bang Boom suddenly we have those exclusive experiences being shared, you know, in that museum or in that gallery. Does that make sense?
0: Oh, yeah, totally. I, I, and the way that you've architected your site and, and thought about the relationship between the exclusive content and the holder of the work and, and giving them a kind of scope to share that or not, I think that's 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 a layer even deeper than I had presumed was possible. It's, it's fascinating. I feel like the relationship between the artists and the the collectors. That's something that obviously it's it's core to this whole space. It's what kind of powers everything going forward. It's what sometimes attracts people to the space in terms of new collectors, maybe artists to kind of give it a second thought that, hey, maybe I can actually do this creative thing that I'm so passionate about as like a full-time thing or something. It's it's core. And building those experiences out, building that relationship out is paramount. And I, there's just so much scope within this digital space and the metaverse that's expanding in front of us to express to share to convey that relationship even deeper i mean i I was speaking with josie the other day and she likes to create exclusive wearables for her collector base the wearables of course are are representative or or mimic some of her iconic images of the works that she's created so that her collectors can walk around in crypto voxels or Decentraland or VR chat and convey and express and signal their relationship with Josie as, as a collector, as a supporter, as someone who they believe in their work. And, and that is powerful within this digital space because those unique experiences are something that can only be attained By actually collecting the work. And it's a powerful signal to other people to, hey, I want that, then I need to actually support (laughs) in some uh, substantial, non-trivial way. And that's what it's all about. We're all in this together, I think, at the end of the day. And it's just another powerful, beautiful representation of that togetherness that's possible. And uh, it's it's exciting. (laughs) I, I could go on and on.
1: I love this community. This community is is so uplifting and so supportive of one another. In in a lot of ways, I think it's a community that we've all searched for in our lives, you know, and never found. And here we all are in the right place at the right time. And it's like. All the right people are coming together, and and we are. We are all in this together. We're we're all tugging each other forward when we go forward, and if someone's going backwards, you know, we gotta call them out on it and say, "Hey, this is this is the way over here." But and it's not it's not judgmental. It's it's just supportive. It's like we're all trying to get to the same place.
0: Hundred percent. And I think a beautiful manifestation of that whole ethos, if you will, is async art, (laughs) which I mean, on top of being a whole brand new way to, to creatively express oneself and like a a new, new medium, I think it, again, because of the layer token aspects of what they're creating, it's like, wow, it's everyone really is, could potentially make something together, benefit together, share in the upside that is. It is an ex- it's an amazing ex- experiment, and since you you had touched on it at the top of the show, but I'm just wondering, like at, at a, a more like ma- meta or macro level, like looking at what async art represents. Do you have any thoughts on like the the power and potential of a project like async art in this amazing space that we're we're all in right now?
1: Well, I have to say that the team Conlin, No Shot, and Breadbreaker. That- they are phenomenal, and it 's like I talked to Conlin, I was the first artist he spoke to, and we spoke I think January second or January third mm-hmm. and so it took literally two months they put that to, they put that together that technology i've and i've worked in the web dev industry i 've worked with teams that are like three times as large with projects that are um two times is less complex and it's like you end up taking six months to put that website out. And it's like, so, so I'm super impressed. I'm super impressed by them so far. Um, the, the general, I believe it's, it's a, it's a new artistic medium. It cultivates uh, collaboration. I look at it not in terms of layers. I look at it in, in terms of the components of an art form you break down any art form into its component parts and this contract will be able to cover that. I don't have all of the answers, but it's like you could have it a single artwork that gets broken up into the choreographer, the set designers work, the lighting director, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, dance or something, you know, that each dancer has their own token that's how I sort of look at it is, is let's not, you know, let's not, I'm I'm a painter, so I'm thrilled about this. And I'm a dimension, you know, I I do dimensional paint. And so like layers, yes, but I look at the art, uh, every art form, it can be covered by this contract.
0: You literally just blew my mind yet again, (laughs) like thinking about it in the, the, that component dimension. And I mean, yeah, why not? Right? Like we don't need to Stay constrained within this like digital art medium. Like you can break it out into choreography, dance, movies. Like that is amazing.
1: And I'm even. I I was even thinking. I'm just going to shout this out there because I don't know how to do it. But it's like generative music, where where you have one token representing the trombone, one token representing <laughs> you know the trumpet, et cetera, et cetera. And it's like you can then go in. Each person could go in and control some sort of value that. That renders the output of, of that instrument. This, I mean, this is phenomenal. This is this, this is not just like oh, this is crypto art. This is art. This is where where art has taken a turn, because the future it's more digital. The only way the future is not more digital and is less digital is if we blow ourselves up. There's some global catastrophe. Otherwise, the future is more digital, and this this is that the art is more digital as well. And, and so I think, you know, whether async as a company survives or not what they're doing with their contract, that, that legacy lives on. And that's sort of what I look at the whole space as being is, is everyone's introducing a little something, right. Mm -hmm. And, And that little something is this legacy that's shaping the future right now. And, and that's, You know, you asked me before, like, what drives me? This is what's beginning to drive me. I haven't been working on my software lately. I've been working on crypto art, you know, on community outreach and, you know, talking to other artists and talking to collectors. That's what's what's driving me right now is we have an opportunity, all of us, to shape the future. And if we're unhappy with the old models that we, you know, I'm fortunate that that I was able to experience the art gallery scene before the financial crash, you know, because there was a lot of things I liked about it. There was a lot of things I didn't like about it. You know, there is a reason why I never returned to a brick and mortar gallery. It's not for lack of having artwork. It's not for lack of having good enough artwork to put on their walls. You know, it's for, it's for, you know, lack of, Long time, you know, you got to have royalties, you got to be able to keep relationships with your collectors and not have those kept in some some ledger that the gallery owner, you know, keeps in a lock and key. This is this is really the future amen
0: (laughs) (laughs) beautifully put (laughs) oh wow okay i i I wanted to i have a million things to say on top of that but that is just too beautiful to add anything to so we'll we'll head towards the the end of this but before we go there's a couple questions i always like to ask who are you collecting like if we opened up your wallet your your digital wallet which artists do you do you prize the most
1: well, every everyone I've been collecting, I've been collecting because I sincerely love the work. That's that's what I sort of look for in artists that I collect, or artists who are doing their own thing, who are not influenced by the trend necessarily. I I I think uh, Sarah Zucker is is particularly. I look at her work, and I think. You know, she you know she discusses you know microdosing, and I just so connected with that because my creative process is you know it's just this natural brain chemistry weirdness I have going on, but I've I've always I've always sort of related to people who, who explore that dimension because I think we're accessing the same things, and what she's doing with analog technology of the '80s and '90s these old Cable boxes and VCRs and CRT monitors. And I, I more or less see that as um, the, the, these painters who have rediscovered, you know, the old master techniques because we lost those. It's like because of the work of Sarah, we're not going to have to rediscover those techniques like she's keeping them alive. And and she's she's actually innovating on on these technologies in ways that, that you know weren't happening in the eighties and nineties. I mean, we, we had artists using those tools, but what I'm saying is she's taking it steps further. Yep. Than other artists. I real, I don't know how to say her name. I always say Missile Simpson. I say
0: Miss Al Simpson.
1: <laughs> yeah. Her work I really love. Her digital collages, I think they're I think they're really great, and I you know that's another one. I think it's where like I selfishly look at her work and I see a little bit of myself, and so (laughs) (laughs) I own one of her pieces and and I I love it. I think it's her best work that I own, but I'm partial.
0: I I have five pieces. I'm pretty sure I have (laughs) a better one than you. You have the best. no she's she's amazing and well i didn't want to say this but since you said like you see part of yourself in her work like she's what been one of the individuals who i've spoken with who i know your time is is very very dear and precious but in the future i would personally from a selfish standpoint love to see both of you somehow collaborate i just feel like your styles are so in line and in sync something something phenomenal will come out of some sort of collaboration between the two of you
1: yeah right that's cool that's cool. I think I think right now my my time is like I have to put my time into these these projects that are on my list, you yeah. know. Um, and and in my real life, I have a lot of things that that um, stress, you know, take take from my time, and that I have to you know tend to. But, you know, you put any. I don't. I don't think this space is going away, and so I'm not in a hurry to do. Um, collaborations with everyone right now right now i'm interested in building out my own technology um collaborating with with technology being built like async um that's how i'm kind of choosing and of course making art that's how i'm choosing to to spend my time right now and i think there's plenty of time in the future for collaborations you know for me you put anything on a long enough timeline things will happen
0: yeah the space is, isn't going away. It's, it's doing the complete opposite. So we, there will be time. Totally.
1: I also love Norman Harmon's work. Mm. I, I I know that he, similarly to um, Sarah Zucker, does things with like VHS glitching and stuff. I don't know how much that that goes into his digital paintings or not, but I, it's just, it's cool to me when artists are involved with with other mediums and forms of expression than we're necessarily seen in the crypto art universe. You know, I could I could talk about them all.
0: But <laughs> three three is a good number, you know. It is that that's a good that's a good number. And well, before we go, um, I just want to give you a chance uh, to either let the folks know where to find you and your work, shout out your handles and your websites, and then if you want to give people a taste of what you're cooking up. Uh, creatively, I think that would be a cool thing to share.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So you can find me at mattkane.com If you're only interested in seeing my collector website, you can go to collect.mattkane.com My Twitter and Instagram handle is Artist, all one word M-A-T-T-K-A-N-E-A-R-T-I-S-T And what I'm working on right now is Really phenomenal piece, I I think. I'm building, I'm adding on to my software, a 2D animation studio. I have a separate 3D animation studio, but this one is going to allow me to take my paintings and um, selectively object by object, layer by layer, however I choose to do it, add rotation or blow up pieces and shrink them. It looks really cool. I can't do it. Artists can never do things justice with words, you know, but that's going to be coming out. I right now in 2020, I'm very interested in what my natural scarcity looks like. I haven't minted anything with super rare in a month. And that's just what my time has looked like. It's not because I'm only going to mint one a month. It's because that's what my time right now looks like. And I, and I sort of like the idea of being honest to that and finding out for myself, what do I naturally look like? I have plenty of work, even new work that I've made that I could have minted in the past month. But I'm kind of interested in keeping my standards, you know? There's, there's this piece I'm, I'm wanting to animate. I don't want to release it as a two, you know just a static image. I want to release it as an animation. And that's something I should mention is, you know, for collectors to understand about what my collector website is, Um, I think Moderates uh, bought one of my uh, animated pieces. If he ever wants to log into the website, he has access to a very high res to, you know, static image of, of that uh, animation. It is just a, a painting, the original painting. And that's kind of where I'm going with my work is, is, you're not really bidding on what you see the NFT representing, okay? You're bidding on future experiences. I have on the website, it says collect the future. It's like my artistic philosophy is that these works of arts are going to be reinterpreted in the future like pieces of music. Um, When I create my paintings, they're databases, okay? I, I I make my paintings as databases because I wanted to create a, a medium that's that's like music that can be reinterpreted. You you have you have a composer, you know, writing notes on paper, but then that music can be, you know, reinterpreted by a trombone, reinterpreted by a singer, reinterpreted. And so that's what I'm doing with my art is is the 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 work is all mathematical. And so it's it's going to be reinterpreted long after I'm dead. My God, that. <laughs> that's what they're bidding on. Sorry to throw that in at the last second, because that's a big thing. But that's, you know, that's what you're bidding on, folks. You're bidding on the future.
0: <laughs> well, y- you have me hook, line, and sinker. Unfortunately, I have not had a chance to collect your work yet. But uh, I- I'm definitely going to have to get into a couple bidding wars, I think, <laughs> after <Yeah. laughs> hearing this. Works of art as databases. Abuse. Oh my god! Just you're—you're you're blowing my mind, man. I'm going to be
1: releasing a scent article. I've—I've I've gotten into scent. I love it. I'm going to be releasing uh, a scent article. On, kind of pulling the curtain back on on some of these things I've mentioned. So,
0: I don't think the world's ready, man.
1: <laughs> you're going <laughs> to blow
0: too many minds in a great I, way, of course.
1: I, it doesn't matter if the world's not ready because I am. <laughs> Take a chance on being loved or hated for who you really are.
0: (laughs) Boom. And there we go. Well, Matt, it has been an absolute pleasure to talk. I had been looking forward to this conversation for quite a while and I had high expectations and those high expectations were completely shattered. (laughs) This is an absolute (laughs) pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. And I'm really looking forward to all the experiences that you're going to be able to create heading forward. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Matthew. Thanks to all your listeners.
0: Hey, everybody. Matthew again. So I really hope that you enjoyed my conversation with Matt Cain as much as I did recording it. If you have a chance, make sure you stop by Super Rare and check out the bidding war for Matt's latest piece, Breathe in the Bottom and Blow Out the Banks. It's an amazing work and the bidding war is, is rightly deserved. Also, make sure you check out the show notes for where you can find Matt Cain's work and look out for my next spotlight, which will feature the one the only Oshinachi. Thanks to everybody and sent on.